word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling choicey adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us in this section we're reading. a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You can think of us as your drunk weekly book club. And to kick that off, um, we're going to do something right now that we usually do right before we start recording. And Crossland, I challenge you to a shot. Yeah, this is this is our inaugural episode that you guys are hearing, so we are absolutely taking a shot on air. What are you What are you taking a shot of? Bud Light. All right. It's and kind of I have a go-to a- for mine. I have a shot of Reikia, so. Ooh, nice. A little, a little vodka. Cool. All right. All right. Three, two, one. Downy the hatch. <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right. So today we'll be discussing part one of Red Rising, subtitled Slave. But first, let's talk about what we're drinking. What are you um, having, PJ? So I intentionally didn't tell you what I'm drinking because I have a question for you. We mm-hmm. talk regularly about two ingredients is just desperation not a cocktail mine has two ingredients but one of them is kind of a combo ingredient okay i will explain mine is (laughs) rum it's a kilokai rum it's a Mm -hmm. spiced caribbean rum from curacao i believe and then to mix in with it i have diet dr pepper and cream soda so wait it's diet dr pepper pepper and cream soda flavored dr pepper so it came out of one can it's one can but it's not cream soda flavored diet dr pepper it's diet dr pepper ampersand cream soda so i'm going with that's desperation because you only mix two <laughs> vessels <All right. laughs> like, like even if even if you wait, used wait, margarita wait, wait. mix yeah go ahead that's what i'm saying yeah margarita mix so okay so here's what i had obviously this leads into that so i'm having a uh, spicy jalapeno margarita with camarena tequila which was not in the picture uh and uh, orange juice so okay yeah that's gotcha. uh, you sneaky devil yeah so i've, I've got three plus ice cubes <laughs> i don't have ice cubes either i was running late today <laughs> um to chase this uh i have shooter mcgavin from barrel theory um yeah. this is one of my favorite breweries i think it's i believe it's one of your favorite breweries in minnesota as well yeah um, they're great saint paul minnesota really really awesome like mm-hmm. everything they do is kick ass. Yeah. Yeah, there. Do you have anything following up? Oh yeah, my my chaser is a kitten biscuit from Wilmington Brewing Company, one of my favorite I brewing companies they're... down here. Uh, yeah, so they've they've got a line of beers that are effectively different variations of confections plus cats. So they're like lead beer that kind of I, I don't want to say made them famous, but their lead beer that really kind of broke them out as a critically claimed brewing company was called lion cake and it is amazing it's like a 10.2 percent uh double ipa it's just fantastic it's my dad's favorite beer on the planet it's great and so they've started to make variations because they don't think that they can get the same ingredients to make the same thing so they've been doing spins on it by changing the recipe lightly and so they've been going around so this one is kitten biscuit (laughs) as opposed to lion cake so that's that's a big problem within the brewing community if you're using like if they if they put that out a few years ago mm-hmm. and they had a pretty obscure hop that suddenly became really really popular, it's probably impossible for them to get yeah. right now in in a large enough quantity. So or it's just 
prohibitively expensive. Yeah, um, I think I think they just made the judgment call to discontinue it and then to do this kind of playing around the wine yeah. cake and messing with the I, flavor profile. I love that idea. Like it, it really allows you to showcase. It, it gives you a baseline mm-hmm. for like what the beer tastes like. And then it, it allows you to showcase the hops and how hops can really change the entire experience of a beer. So, like, swapping out, we're brewing our New England again soon, and we're going to swap out Citra for Strata just to see what it does. We've got two other hops in there, but that should be the kind of the lion's share of the of the hop flavor that comes through. And I did say lion in purpose. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's fun for the brewers and the consumers alike, I feel like, so... I think it's a good idea, and I applaud them for that. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty great, and they make kick-ass beer, so would recommend. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, come visit you sometime. As soon as it gets really cold here, I'm leaving. Yeah, it's it's always and great here. I'm it's gonna like go visit you all the time. <laughs> so with that, let's uh, let's get into the book. But before we kind of really dive deep into the book, uh, I have to quickly clarify. We we talked in our first episode and in our intro episode of the book. You haven't read a whole lot of uh, fiction lately and right. haven't read a whole lot in a long time. When was the last time that you read a long, sprawling series? Mm. Like Harry Potter, maybe? Nope. Haven't. <laughs> okay. Just trying to give a, give a <laughs> Aragon. gauge. Aragon. Aragon? Okay. Yep. Did you finish all four books? No. Um, I stopped <laughs> reading before the fourth one came out. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Me too, to be fair, because I, uh, I lost interest after I've read three, and I was like, wow, this is not a whole lot. Uh, I, actually, it's probably hard to gauge which one was. It was probably around the same time that I read all of The Lord of the Rings. Sure. Anyway, let's get <laughs> on to the book. <laughs> yeah, that absolutely. We're here to discuss. So we're, we, we tackle kind of a, an introduction and even. I mean, by most standards, a bit of an info dump section because we are being introduced to a crazy different world. This isn't like a typical fantasy world by any stretch, but we do kind of experience the classic trope of the like fantasy info dump right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So we, we read the intro last week, but on the very first page, there's a line that stands out to me. Was there anything that stood out to you on that first page? Oh, so so you have to pull the feet to break the neck? Yeah. 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 Just brutal on mars there's not much gravity so you have to pull the feet to break the neck they let the loved ones do it and yeah. man every the time word, i read that line, the word let kind of haunted me a little bit because mm-hmm. i didn't know if he meant actually like for the sake of like the last rites of the of the family letting them like allowing them to do this or if it was more of a forced thing it seemed mm-hmm. like it was more of a like more of a compassion thing than a force thing but i'm not sure yeah, it's, it's totally compassionate. It's definitely because they don't want to see the struggle continue, and so they pull the feet to break the neck so that they don't w- have to witness them like writhing mm-hmm. forever and ever until they actually die. As opposed to old hanging, which at the very least is a, a quicker death, provided everything happens. But, you know, if you can't break the neck, then mm-hmm. boof, the whole thing is out the window. Speaking, I'm, I'm going to get a little bit, I mean, not that far ahead, but a little bit ahead because it relates to this talking about the what do they call it the devil's dance mm-hmm. it felt a little bit spoon-fed which how, this how line? much well just in general throughout the book throughout the this section is specifically the first part of it how much he described and like had to kind of explain what he was talking about mm-hmm. instead of just letting letting us know that like the devil's dance was them hanging and flailing 
I know this is probably directed a little bit, not necessarily towards like just straight up adult fiction, just based on the vocabulary isn't advanced. I'm assuming it's probably more directed towards like late teen, early adult fiction. So I, I get it, but it, it did kind of take away from the storytelling to have to describe. That's what we call the devil dance when they're flailing while they're hanging. Like we knew that. You could have mm-hmm. you could have just let the imagery go. Yeah, so I, I'll speak to two things, and I do think that it's important to be critical, especially I think of this book most of all, because this book is really him kind of finding any sort of footing. Um, a little bit of background on Pierce Brown. He wrote something like, I think, six or seven books before this. Had trouble getting them published at the time that he sold Red Rising. Finally, after I think 46 publishers, like he he struggled hard to get even representation. He, he ended up selling it and really he, he was 26 years old and he also didn't know, you know what what he wanted to do or where he necessarily wanted to go with the story completely. He is very much a discovery writer and this reads the closest to what I'd call, you know, in the very front of the book, it does say Ender, Katniss, and Darrow. It does read the closest to those books out of them all. Like you said, it's kind of towing that line between adult fiction and high school, young adult fiction. This is the only book that tows that line. <laughs> It quickly, okay, okay. It quickly abandons it. Uh, Good to know. In uh, in book two and book three and book four and book five. But yeah, mm-hmm. it definitely does not read like Game of Thrones in the sense of the like utter brutality and the way that like rape happens and everything else in this book. But that's not to speak of developments that come. So um, my other comment on sort of theme and style, it reads almost almost like robotic Shakespearean dialogue. I don't know if that gets shaken also, but that was a little bit weird and jarring, but maybe that was intentional because it kind of fit the weird and jarring situation that they've found themselves in. The um, his, his style is going to be more Shakespearean than someone like Michael Crichton or, uh, or Blake Crouch, but that's not to say that this intro section doesn't have a particular flavor because it needs to have a particular flavor. It definitely mm-hmm. is trying to evoke an old English-Irish feel. It's supposed to make you kind of think of the old country. And so a lot of that is a very particular vocabulary combined with flowing sentences that don't say a whole lot, um, right. but give you a sense of character. And that specifically kind of rolls through this section, feeds into the next, and then kind of disappears as the dialogue and all of the talking and all of the talking about things lends more to the plot and less to the description of the world. Like I said, this is this is totally like this first fifty pages more than anything else is a info dump on what the world is. Yeah, I can see that. And that makes total sense. And it could have been done better. I think it's important to critique it because it definitely could have, like you said, you don't need to say that it is the devil's dance. We can infer it. I mean, you can call it the devil's dance, but then don't immediately describe yeah. or explain what it is. Like Let let the imagery speak for itself mm-hmm. a little bit. Totally yeah. agree. I love, you know, just opening up with that utter brutality on the first page, you know, the, the, the like absolutely haunting image of like him breaking his dad's neck. Like, right off the bat. Yeah. Just, like, leaning into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the Red Zalaikos are proud young workers, you know, starting as early as age 13, doing dangerous work. What do you think of the whole Helldiver quadrille scene? I wish there was a little bit more description of the machinery itself. Mm-hmm. It, left, it left so much up to the imagination that I didn't really have a clear image of what he was operating. Mm-hmm. 
if that makes sense. Like, like he talks about tendrils, but doesn't really talk about how they're oriented or the cockpit that he said it. Like, there, there's a lot of machinery there that sounds really fucking cool, but I have no idea how it's set up. Yeah, I, I think he does go into a little bit of description. I paid a lot of attention to it this time around, this being the second time through the book. It is described as like a very long, you know, up to like the, I think it said up to a kilometer, which just felt insane to me. Uh, but it is obviously clawing through the crust. The seat is no more than like a literal chair on the very top. And really it's just mounted with the hand operations with with a literal like glove yeah, that, that he wears. That was the other thing. It's like it's like ten. I'm assuming each drill is operated by one of his fingers. Mm-hmm. But that's that articulation also didn't really translate to text. Yeah. So if you kind of imagine your hand, your like palms together in a glove was the way that it made me think of it as he described it. And then you're kind of working your hands through the earth, like you yourself are clawing through them. Is the way that I read it this time, but I also went okay. through very okay. carefully to get that. It was not that clear. Um, I do do definitely agree and understand, but and it is a I mean, crazy thing. It it was also really like it was a topic like <laughs> the idea of a machine like that was very interesting to me, and I wanted more just yeah. You are description. An I so. wanted I wanted more description of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand that like that just feeds directly into my interests. Yep. So it's not necessarily a requirement. Yeah. And we, we get like a lot of things introduced here and we, we kind of get introduced to the the labeling style, so to speak, of of the words, you know, hell die or uh, fry suit, you know, with the second with the S in suit being capitalized, being sling Yeah, blade. it's camel case. It, it's starting like lowercase, but it's camel case. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. And it kind of it lets you it lets you pick out a word that would normally be just a noun so it wouldn't really matter like if i wrote sickle you'd be like oh well i know what that is because of you know learned over time so it's interesting to like have it be lowercase and then uppercase just to call your attention to it to remember almost Mm -hmm. it's an interesting you know writing bit i'd be i'd be interested to learn later on i'd be my my guess about this that is derived from programming languages and Hmm. the naming of uh variables because they're typically they're typically in a lot of circles and a lot of syntax, that's the quote-unquote correct way to uh, write your variables if yeah. you use multiple words. So oh, yeah. after, the, after the first word, each subsequent word starts with a capital letter, making it look like a camel. Makes sense. Oh. <laughs> Humps between the yeah. words. No, that, yep, that exactly. makes sense. So I, my, my guess, if it's not part of the lore of the book itself, it was derived from programming languages. I'm not sure of... Pierce Brown's programming background, if he has any, but he don't know about programming. But he was a political scientist for a couple of years, worked in several campaigns, political campaigns. Okay, That's, so he, he probably is... dealt with like data sets and data aggregation, and maybe not directly, but worked with data miners, probably. So I bet he was, I, I bet he was exposed to some programming. Of course, of course. So we also get our first scene of Darrow, you know, on the claw drill, jumping down to do an inspection for a gas pocket to make sure that it's not going to get everyone, you know, in some kind of an explosion of helium-3, which is what they're down there mining, for the purpose Mm -hmm. of of treating the surface so that it can be habitable one day. Right. From from the introduction, we know that's bullshit. Yep. Uh, Or at least we get the preclusion that it's bullshit. Right. I mean... He could be on a different planet. 
I thought I thought it explicitly said that it was a lie. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I think he did. Well, I know he did because I was thinking about it the whole time, and I haven't read anything like spoilery. <laughs> well, until you get to the end, and then you're kind of spoilery because that's well, the whole thing. I mean, I, I haven't read outside information other than what we've read on this podcast and talked about. So I, I, I know going into this that it's bullshit, but really cool descriptions nonetheless. <laughs> So what did you think of the, you know, obviously he's jumping down the fry suit, he's taking care of that, he's competing to win this laurel. For me, in the first read, this read, with especially with like the lead text and the very little that I had read about the book, it read like, oh, okay, so this book is going to be about competing for the laurel in this quadrille situation, you know, they're, they're going to like strive for it and whatever, and they're going to, you know, go through some struggles and then kind of on the outset it'll be, you know, taken from him and then we'll get book two. Um, what do you mean by book? Do you mean like this section? Uh, or? well, not necessarily. Like it, it preamble. Or do you mean though, do you, or do you do you mean Red Rising the novel? Or yes, Red like, Red Rising the novel. Right. Okay. Reads as um, a oh, this is maybe our like this is our Hunger Games to some degree. Um, it almost leads in like a preamble. The introduction. The introduction mm-hmm. kind of took that away. Um, I felt like if I hadn't read that first, um, I think I'd be on your side or like I'd be on the same page, but, um, having, having read the introduction and having like seen where he will end up. Okay. So you've got the path, you've got the progress, you've got the goal in your head thinking through Yeah, exactly. Got it. Thinking through that. I've I've already kind of got the progression. Got and it. that gets fucked up eventually mm-hmm. in this section. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the section. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but. Um, what did you think about the Laurel on the whole? In, in like the concept? Oh, I knew, of... I, I knew he wouldn't win it. I knew they wouldn't award it to him. I don't trust government at all. It, it almost seems more like a corporate thing. Less like yeah. it's government, more like it's a corporation, right? They're run the same way, though. Well, yeah. In, in in this in this because of how overarching it is, and because of how pervasive the cat the, society is. Yeah, exactly. Um, so even if it is a single corporation running it, it is running it like a government. Sure. Um, none of which should be trusted. And <laughs> that's that's fair. Uh, and the fact that a single clan has won the laurel mm-hmm. every time and the older people are so jaded about it tells me that they're not jaded because they keep losing and aren't motivated enough to win they're jaded because they probably experienced something like this before right right and the youngest group doesn't believe it but someone's got to be the lead horse the carrot to chase and so yeah. that's that's their exactly. place exactly which is especially interesting when we actually get to the Laurel bit later with the two houses that uh, get punished, right, for not achieving their goals, despite the fact that they couldn't because of the uh, explosions that ruined both of their mining crews. Yeah. It's like extra Was punishment. it one explosion that killed both of them? No, no, no. They, they each experienced over the course of the quarter. Okay. So yeah. that was the other thing. That was the other thing that was completely unclear. 
was how often the laurel was awarded. Quarterly. And it's maybe, a quarterly. Maybe I just I, I must have just missed the quarterly thing. Got it. Because I had no sense of scale. Mm. Of, uh, so I, I must have just happened to miss the quarterly part of it. Um, because I, I didn't know if it was a nightly thing. I didn't know if it was a weekly thing or a monthly thing or a yearly thing. Like I, I had no sense of scale of how important this was or how how long of a time this affected them. Yeah, yeah. So we, we can get into that later because I've got more kind of on the laurel. Um, mm-hmm. But we do get from Darrow, even in this mind shaft, we get him thinking about his wife, Eo. Uh, yeah. Which... Um, so Eo, you, you pronounce it the same way I do. Yeah. Yep. That's what I figured, but... It's how it's pronounced in the audiobook. It's also the actual Irish pronunciation, uh, because all of these. Oh, that's an actual name. Yeah, the, these are all driven, derived, um, like Neryl and everything else. They're all derived mm-hmm. from older Irish names. the The Reds are really supposed to be kind of an allegory for this like working low class, and that's why they kind of have the sort of Irish demeanor about them in terms of working family unit. Um, drinking drinking and also the kind of religion that is work yeah and the adherence structure is very much built off of the backs of the irish in this case and the red hair yep right (laughs) right no it's it's all that's all he's he's very straightforward with it he's like you know when i was thinking about it i was like the irish like this is exactly and that's a great attitude to kind of imbue into characters yeah absolutely so um, EO is interesting, though. Yeah. That you could say that again. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, she is a very interesting girl. Um, so let's let's start from the beginning, it, real quick. So like from waiting, the first thing, the first real nugget you get is that in society, women in this society, in the red society, women typically marry at fourteen, and she chose to wait for Darrow specifically because men don't marry until sixteen. Right. Um, what else you got? So, so that was something I had to sort of slowly ease, not ease myself into, but um, get my mindset around. In that he he refers to Uncle Narrell as the old man of the tribe, and he's like thirty four. Yep. Like we have friends that are thirty four. Yeah. Right. They're they're as like bullshit as we are um <laughs> and we're in our mid-20s well i mean yeah as it is late 20s now i don't know 20s whatever um so knowing that like this is probably a factor of living on mars it's pro and and living in the conditions that they do um they're probably living a very very hard life and dying very young Mm -hmm. so it makes sense to marry basically as soon as they're like maybe almost through puberty um for the for the betterment of the society itself yeah but they were they were children like i remember being 16 
and dating girls. I wasn't ready. I'm not ready to get married now. I learned that the hard way. Ooh. Uh, um. <laughs> I I think what's what's very interesting here on the surface between Eo and Darrow really comes down to kind of that naive love that you you talked about. Like it does. There there's like hints of naivety, but there's also a very strong passion. Um, yeah. You know, I I do agree with you that it does kind of have that almost high schooler glow in the eye. Yeah, it does. But at the same time, there's also, there are individual lines that are written, especially a little bit later in the scene in the garden, where it doesn't read like that. It truly reads like crazy passion. And so you're kind of caught between like, is this, this, they're growing up. They're still like hitting. I still, I still got high school love out of it though. I don't think a high schooler writes like that or thinks like that, (laughs) but yeah. I don't know, man. Making love out in the <laughs> in the forbidden garden, like that's absolutely a teenager thing to do. Well, okay, but if it, it like it's, I guess it's a little bit different because, all right. So let's let's make the allegory here. Uh, we're we're kind of skipping ahead, but if they're making love in the forbidden forbidden garden, forbidden. There's the first drunk slayer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, if they're making love in the forbidden garden that is to a high school relationship like that's there's there's no knowledge that this thing exists it's it's as though that's true like that's a good point it is it is fundamentally different because this is not real so that'd be like taking a teleporter in high school to mars and being able to fuck on mars like that that would be the closest thing that i can imagine i would have done that well of course i'm not i'm not questioning whether or not you would have done it (laughs) It's really just a question of like, you know, the the scale of the seriousness yeah, of what's no, going no, on around I'm, them. I'm I'm with you. Like, yeah, it. You're right. It's not a direct comparison, but I didn't necessarily like. They they're definitely living much more mature than they should be if they were regular teenagers on Earth. Mm-hmm. But. I don't think they were necessarily so incredibly advanced in their emotional states. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, it was very much young passion. Definitely. I felt like. Totally agree with that. I totally think that's that's on with the, with the overall feeling. Um, would you, what else, do you have any other feelings on her and the relationship without diving into later substance stuff? Um. Nah, nah. Uh, yes, but not not in a way that I can really. Yeah, you you, you want context? Well. It, like, it it needs context. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, moving forward, one of the things that strikes me going from kind of the introduction, um, talking to Brown about the way that he pictures the surface of Mars, um, how do you picture? what everything looks like right now from Darrow's perspective. Um, caves, like just, just cavernous darkness. I, I didn't, I, I didn't catch, um, 
any sort of illumination other than the HC, which I can't remember what it stands for right now. Oh, conveniently, I've created something where you can go look at it. HC stands hmm. for hollow can, which is the equivalent of a yes. TV. Yep. Um, to be fair, like... I read through five books and didn't know what an HC was, but inferred that it was a TV after five books. Well, so. yeah, it, I, I knew it was a TV. <laughs> I just meant I didn't like, know that it was called hollow can. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I missed I, it. I, I knew it was in there. I just couldn't remember. Yeah. Um, it, like, I interpreted it as, like, uh, um, Jumbotron. Yeah. Like, like, just a big sports stadium, like, four-paneled TV box that sits way above. Yeah, or, like, 1984 style, right? Like, that's, yeah, that's the image that I Yeah, something like that, too. Okay. Yeah. Is... I, I got I got Jumbotron. <laughs> yeah, but I mean they're, but they're either similar. Way, that, yeah. that's that that seems to be the only source of illumination for a lot of this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. I'm sure there's other sources of light, but that's the only one that really gets described. Mm-hmm. Um so everything seemed very bleak. Dark and solid. Just in my in my imagery. Very like dirty subterranean like dwarf like society yeah talking about fantasy elements i mean yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. um so i yeah there's there's that there's the uh map at the beginning oh yeah don't look i mean you can look at that but is i i haven't i haven't like I, I meant to look at it, um, to see where like they were in relation to the other clans. Are they, are they on here, or is this like surface? No, this stuff? is this is entirely different. Okay. Yeah. I won't take a look at it yet. Well, I mean, you can. You just won't get it. I've, I've looked at it, but I like I. Yeah. I won't. I won't like. Really dig into it. Yeah, so all intents and purposes, it's fine to see that front map. It's good to like keep that in the back of your head that there is something else that's looming that you'll you're kind of keeping track of the way that everything moves is cool. Um, and you know, I think the the telltale sign of getting invested in a fantasy story is looking at the map in the front and being like, "Ooh, yeah, shit, absolutely. this is really cool." Absolutely. Yeah, and like, how do you pick I mean, out that, the stuff? That's that's what I love about Tolkien. Yeah. Is all his maps. Yeah, and maps are definitely a, a thing. Yeah. Um, here. So, yeah, like like I said, this is almost like a science fantasy book as opposed to science fiction, but it it is also science fiction. It's it blends the genres together very well. Um mm. which we kind of we see throughout this chapter even. Um so we do get to kind of the king ruler overlord, right? We get presented with the sovereign talking down 1984 style out of the HC like you're talking about the giant jumbotrons. Um and I love, there's there's a line that kind of foreshadows the universe writ large. Uh, where first shall we flourish? Venus, Mercury, Mars, the moons of Jupiter, Neptune? That's on page 17. Um, and then near the end of that, it's brave pioneers. Always remember that obedience is the highest virtue. Above all, obedience, respect, sacrifice, hierarchy. That just screams 1984. Orwellian. Oh, absolutely absolutely yeah sorry i'm dribbling like a motherfucker out of this crowler <laughs> yeah i can't i can't hear it so you're good oh it, it's less about you hearing it and more about me just 
getting really frustrated and barely paying attention. It's fair. What you're saying. Um, I am paying attention though. But so I feel like that foreshadows it though, right? Like, okay, so we have all of these planets. We know that the moons are in play. Where are we gonna go in this story? Where do you think uh, we go? Sorry, I have to stop you and call out a dumb fucking thing that you put on our uh, our notes document. Um, Mars helium helium three driller under Mars surface. M A R apostrophe S. Yeah. What the fuck are you doing, Crossland? Dude. <laughs> Mars is surface. It's fine. Mars owns the surface. Mar Mar doesn't own the surface. Where 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 is this in the document? Uh, terms groups. Hell diver. A helium three. A oh, helium under- three. <laughs> Mars's. You're right. It it should have been Mars's, and I don't know why it wasn't. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> I think it can just be Mars apostrophe. Uh, it actually corrected me because it's a proper noun, I think. Oh. Yeah. Never mind. That was that was the recommendation. Anyway, I not. I always not write your name when I, when I'm talking possessively of you. It's K R O S S apostrophe. That, I, I didn't but know I think, that I think possessive that's nouns the didn't S. follow that rule. No, I think that's the two S rule. Like if there are two S's. In the uh, anyway. Uh, so maybe I, yeah. I don't I don't know, I'll I'll look it up. That's actually something I should. English know. sucks, dude. I have been relearning grammar as a part of writing so much, and uh, that is yeah. There are a number of things in our notes. I Let's care just, less about it though, so stop giving me shit. Let's just learn Russian. No, nope. I don't know. Fuck Russian. <laughs> um. Anyway, so yeah, I, I got friends that have degrees in Russian. <laughs> I think they hated themselves when they decided to do that. So um, anyway, <laughs> the the brave pioneers always remember obedience is the highest virtue above all obedience, respect, sacrifice, hierarchy. You know, it's it's these things, blah blah blah. Um, that just it reads like pure government propaganda, right? This is this is in an unbelie- in an unbelievable kind of way. What do you mean? Like it unbelievable in that like how. How long has this been going on, and how slowly did they ramp up in order to get people to actually believe this? Yo, dude, I don't, I don't want to tell you anything, but I don't know if you've seen the president tweet a tweet out Law and Order, and all the other people go along with they're not supporting Law and Order, but like that is a hundred percent. I I call it out later in the notes. Yeah, it's just all right. It, it good point. Yeah, I know, right? Like I got frustrated when I read that part of this book, and I'm like, when was this published? <laughs> I just I had a I had a momentary lapse of reality. Um, oh, good, good. Point. We'll get to it later because I've actually got it quoted, and I, I was like, whoa. Um, anyway, so we also find some other interesting seeds of what's to come planted here um, from the presentation of Eo not going to her flush, which is like an air shower, still being dirty because she you know headed up on the girders. Oh, I really like the description of the flush. Yeah. Uh, when when. Uh... Darrow goes into it where he describes it and then just again staccato mm-hmm. we talked about we haven't talked about this what I really appreciated about some of the previous books that we've read together is the staccato nature of descriptive sentences mm-hmm. and he describes the air shower and then period it hurts period 
it was like it was the description and then separately it was no bullshit the experience that reverberated man yeah, did it did <laughs> yeah it did <laughs> it'll get cut out uh, uh, no, yeah. no I'm leaving it in now the okay the experience <laughs> though you're right you're right and it's it's also that's a that's a shift from what we've been reading before what we talked about before in first person point of view you have so much more control over those kind of things you do that's true and so that can come through a lot clearer in a narrative like this yeah um but dark matter is also in in, in in different way uh was dark matter first person yep i jason no, doesn't yeah it was was it third person omniscient i thought it was first person no it was it was all third person really i thought hmm. anyway okay continue it was, never mind um i don't know where i'm going with that no you're just talking about short description the flushes yeah just the, the fact that like the the period after describing what the process of taking the flush bath mm-hmm. like the air bath is and then it hurts with a no more description like you just know like it sucks but you know it's better than being smelling like shit and piss all the time yeah because you have Water to piss yourself nice. in your fry suit yeah like they talk about that on page one yeah or two right no it's it's page one is right away yeah. it's uh uh i smell my own stink inside my fry suit mm. right after the uh the first paragraph yeah. the beginning of the second paragraph um man it's you'd think there'd be a better way but i guess they just don't care right They're... to provide them with anything better especially at the end of the chapter we get we get a real sense that these people are expendable yeah you know especially in the way yeah. that they're even fed and rationed um so another another thought uh in chapter three when we hit chapter three i get a very shire what's the page page number i can look at dude i have no idea i'm following notes <laughs> I, I i can, I can right. double check um, it's like 20 20 mid 20s it starts on 20 i will mark it in the future um but yeah so we there there's a very like throughout the chapter there's very the shire feel where it's describing the small town the community kind of even the warmth um everyone gathering around tables you know kind of sitting down and drinking and being excited for the awarding of the laurel everything else around that has a very you know the festival from uh from the lord of the rings feel right or sorry bilbo's Uh, birthday that's what i was thinking yeah i knew what you meant um early on very early on I knew Eo knew something was up. Mm-hmm. Like she she has some information about the way things are run that she's keeping to herself based on the way that she treats rations of bread, the way that she doesn't get excited about the laurel or the prospect of it. Like she knows what's up, but doesn't share. 
You're so and that right. becomes more and more clear as as it goes on. But I think like, I, I was I was I was tipped off right away when she. Like, I think it was from the bread. I think it was from the ration of bread. Mm-hmm. Is when I first thought like, oh shit, like she knows something's up. What I what I think is really interesting about that, I definitely agree with you. It also paints Darrow, right? Because Darrow then goes on to say things like, you know, there are other women who basically like whore themselves out for food, um, or like extra rations or other things and sleep around and he doesn't think that he owes like that, so why would she have food to spare? And there's kind of this mm-hmm. like question, but he also doesn't question her. But it shows that like Darrow even questions his like close alliances and friendships and things that matter. Right. He's always got kind of a cautious eye on things, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. But he he also, for this reason, he reminds me a lot of you, or you remind me a lot of him. Sure. In his just blind romanticism towards EO. Oh fuck. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I've been sold out. I've been sold out. No, I like he he is so fucking in love with EO. In a way that it completely envelops his personality. And I've seen you go through that yeah. multiple times. I, well, okay, so I, I think that that's <laughs> multiple people. I think I think that I understand obviously that uh, you're calling me out in in the public. I'm not calling you out. Like uh, okay. that is a, it, it, it is a very like it's a very sweet personality trait to have. Like it, it is very loving and very compassionate towards like like putting all of your compassion towards one person and it's very intense but it, it is a trait that i see in you that's totally fair uh yeah i can't spoil anything so i'm gonna shut up um so i think that the the whole that eo you're you're 100 right it's interesting that she does obviously have additional information I think the very first tease of that is the flush where she comes back dirty. Although we don't really understand because we don't really know what the Webbery is. We really don't have a good picture of, of a lot of the other things. They're kind of all mentioned so fast in passing. It feels like this section mm-hmm. could have been 100 pages, but was instead 50. And it, 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 it feels like this section was cut down ye- in editing. Yeah, I, de- I definitely agree. And I feel like part of that is first-timers book don't trust you, don't know what you're doing. Because each book subsequent, this book is like solidly on, I think, the 350 page mark. And then every book suddenly adds like 100 to 300 pages subsequently. Okay. So they all get significantly longer and they kind of allow those those muscles to flex a little bit to ensure that okay. everything's described. But this definitely has that intro reader editor feel where... Gotcha. It's like call the shit because we don't know if anyone's gonna like you in the first place. <laughs> so right. yeah, no, I, I definitely, I definitely catch that on this read. The first read, I was very much like I buzzed through this section, like it, it was just like okay, next. Um, but there are there are some subtle things that are important here. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I think is really interesting is uh, Darrow's fascination and perspective around the members of other colors in the society. Uh, he uses, you know, like a colloquialism, tin pots. Um, but outside of the grays, it doesn't feel like he experiences other colors. 
what what are your thoughts there? And how many colors do you think um, there are? So we we have mentions of the reds, yep. the grays, the golds, yep. obviously, um, the greens, yep. and there's one other, I believe. We get coppers in this section. Copper. Yep. Copper. Was there another one? I think that's it. I think that was it. Yeah. Um, copper was something technological, wasn't it? So the uh, the copper or was that green. The copper that we get is kind of a bureaucrat. Um, green okay. was running the cameras later. Yep. Yep. That was it. Yep. So the yeah the copper is a magistrate podigenous who uh, does the or initiates the flogging later. Mm-hmm. Um, and the greens were and manning then, the cameras. And then gray is kind of just brutes. Yeah, I mean soldiers to some degree. I, I would I would equate them. Wait, what 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 was the what were the giant hulking dudes with eight fingers? Ooh, I okay. I didn't remember if they were mentioned, so I didn't want to spoil obsidians. Those are the obsidians. obsidians yeah, that was it. Yep. yep, and they stand by uh, Augustus's side. It may be like. They reminded me of me, and it made me wish I had eight fingers on each. Dude, they're they're monsters. <laughs> it's it's terrifying. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely understand that. So, yeah, I, I was just curious. What are what are your thoughts on like Darrow's perspective on the other colors? Because obviously he rarely sees them. What where he does he think them, they but go? They're, they're they're also so highly pl- like from a like indoctrination standpoint they are so on a pedestal mm-hmm. that like he averts his eyes at the golds yeah like it it is so ingrained in them pr- presumably since birth that they are lesser than and not worthy of the attention of golds or some of the higher colors in general. And it was really depressing. Yeah. I like, totally agree with you. It was a sign of total indoctrination and total, like, control. Yeah. The the whole thing paints a very dehumanizing picture, which we know from, you know, real-world example of the caste system in India— you know, people fall into jobs and routines, and then they they basically have inherited status over time in their specific roles in their families, and they cannot exceed or you know drop lower than, um, which is has historically been terrible. Obviously, I don't I don't have a great historical context in the entirety there, so I can't paint a perfect picture. But in this society, do you think that we we have? How do you think that's evolved over time? How far in the future do you think we are? Mm. Both of those questions are relevant. 50 to 100 years is my guess. 100 years. Okay. 50 to 100. Yeah. Uh, I 100. I, I would guess colonization happened 50 years from now. Okay. So based on just the way the way that everything's been written like 30 years was a couple generations i feel like they described that sure as. um 
when they were talking about the uh, Gammas having the Laurel, they had it for like 33 years or something like that. Yeah. Um, which was more than anybody could really remember. Right. Nerol's the only one who's even been alive that long that we've talked to yeah. on a character front. Yeah. So my, my guess is they colonized about 50 years into the future from whenever this was written. And then this is about 100 years into the future. Got it. Got it. So you're saying when was, 2070. When, when did this come out? Well, it came out in 2014, I want to say. Okay. Seems about right. Um, and then, so you're, you're adding. 20, 2060 to 2110. Okay. All right. Yeah, 20, 2014 is what it says on the inside cover. Yeah. Okay. 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 I see that. Um, and then the the secondary question there though was uh, how how did society like separate? How do you think that happened? What what really divides them? Because obviously there are physical differences that we see in the obsidians later. I think they were divided by time. Okay. I think they were um, these were the first people, and they were given a quota that was well 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 beyond. Mm-hmm. what was needed and i'm thinking the the next like the the next shuttle so to speak well not so to speak the next shuttle from earth to mars was maybe a year or two behind them hmm. enough time for them to get settled and fear the surface but also enough time to really build society on the surface world once they have enough um, hydrogen three. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I'm guessing it was a very short period of time. Okay. I, 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 I think the the Reds were the first. The Reds and the Greys. The Reds and the Greys arrived simultaneous simultaneously. I think. Yeah, kind of. With the Greys being the slave drivers so to speak it kind of has a stanford prison experiment vibe to it between the grays and the reds yeah the the officers and the experiment versus the participants who were imprisoned right mm-hmm. even though they're the same people in the outset because of power structures they varied wildly so right. i i do also i understand that perspective and i definitely see it so yeah. we um and then they're they're obviously born into their own caste yeah. Um, and so there, w- there was one comment, like one sentence where he talks about, I can't remember if it's his older brother or his uncle or something like that, but the math really didn't work out of how young they were between generations. And like, so his, his uncle. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's his cousin. No, it's so his uncle, I think. Kieran... It's like a couple of years older than him. Yeah. And then his his uncle's son, his nephew, is also still on the crew and talking to him. And it, it doesn't feel like they should be on the same crew based on the year gap. Yeah, because it, it almost feels like there's a bigger wisdom and knowledge gap that happens in theory. No, 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 no. No, no, I mean just, just time-wise. If, if 34 is the oldest person on the crew and 13 is the youngest, 
That's a twenty-year. It's not thirteen discrepancy. Hmm? He's not thirteen. Thirteen's the young. Thirteen's the youngest on the crew. Is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. But right. but he's he he has his nephew talking to him, and his cousin talking, or like, and his brother talking to whatever it is. Yeah, I think it's his brother, Kieran, and his nephew right. are are both on the crew. And it doesn't feel like there's enough time for those to both coexist, and for him st- to still be sixteen. Like, it, it feels very odd. If you had a kid immediately at fourteen the, or thirteen, it would work. No, but his brother's only three years older than. No, him. but it's not okay. So no, his brother is three years older than. Correct, him. Kieran is three and years older, a, and and he has a son that talks to him. Like talks to I think it's Narrell's son. On the job site. Pretty sure it's Narrell's oh, son, not Kieran's. It's Narrell's Kieran son. has a okay. daughter that comes up way later. Um, okay. I think she's the, just the a way baby. I, the way that. I read it, I was really confused because I thought it was... I, I thought it was his brother's son. No, it's... On the, on the job site. I'm like, how does this math work out? Pretty sure it's his cousin and pretty sure it's Narrell. Uh, Okay. Narrell's, and that, he is Narrell's yeah, nephew. That makes more sense. Darrow is Narrell's okay. nephew, so that's where. Yeah. That kind of like. Okay. There's there's a lot of genealogy painted over in a small period of time, and especially with kind of the the quote cultural quote differences. You know, it's it is tough to map out. Right. But that was. The, I, I knew I was missing something. Yeah. But I didn't really want to go back and try to reread it and figure it out. So I just kept going. So we, we've been on this for a bit, but like I, I mentioned um, the, the Shire feeling earlier, right? Like the community warmth and kind of the question of the colors and a lot of that starts to broaden I didn't get any warmth. I didn't get any the, warmth out of the community at all. In, I, I, only in chapter three when they're talking about everyone sitting down waiting for the laurel does it feel warm like the Shire does. Because everyone's kind of excited. There's some dancing going on. Right. That's, that's what I'm saying. So that feels like the Shire. That's really the only yeah. moment that feels like that happy, go lucky energy. Um, you know, song and dance. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I was kind of when when I read that the first time, I was kind of waiting for a wise old wizard to arrive. Like I was really like, is this going to be a carbon copy of uh, Lord of the Rings in space? Like I really kind of like was leaning into the idea of a, a Gandalf wizard. arriving. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that there are Jedi's in this, but it, you know, it'd be interesting. Um, or rip off, you know. Either way, uh, <clears throat> Gandalf the Nebula. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was my my final thought on the Shire bit. Um, in chapter three, I caught myself when uh, when Darrow was reflecting, thinking about the same sort of changes that happen over the course of five years. You know how judgment and wisdom get conflated as we age out of childhood. That's on page twenty one when he starts to kind of talk about those things. But think about like five years ago and how dramatically. You know, we don't need to get into it, but just thinking about the kinds of shifts that happen over five years even though it doesn't feel that long when you're living it yeah. we were 21 five uh-huh. years ago we were just able to buy alcohol five, legally five years ago i started professionally brewing beer yeah right <laughs> it's a big deal six like, years ago i started a sales career i i was i was able to buy the beer that i was trying to emulate in my brewing <laughs> which felt so weird um but also it it was free it was so freeing it was such like 
21 in America is such a strange turning point, not only legally, but socially and like interfamilially, mm-hmm. at least, at least within my family. Yeah. Like suddenly being able to talk about drinking with my parents. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, was, it was a weird, was a weird thing. It's a big deal. And I probably, I probably could have, I probably could have ahead of time, but I didn't. And then suddenly I did. And suddenly I'm like hired as a professional alcohol producer. Yeah. Having only experienced alcohol for like a couple months. Quote. <laughs> Air quotes around that it, whole thing, but also uh we don't not not don't recommend going out of your way to find alcohol if you're underage. Absolutely. No, it is very difficult. We are not doctors. To uh, buy grain and yeast and hops, and get tap water, and boil it together, and follow recipes online to make your own really good beer. Um, but that's not—it's not easy to do. Don't do that. It's way too hard, and uh, you'll be disappointed. I'm lying. Um, but yeah, the the five years Crossland. of judgment would tell you, and wisdom gained, would tell you to uh, to brew your own beer in larger batches, right? Like that's the wisdom gain. Oh yeah, right. Never. If you're gonna start brewing your own beer, start at five gallons because one gallon is so wasteful and uh, really frustrating. It's way easier to do five gallons. You get what less waste. You get more product, and it's. Like you just need, you need your large burner on your stove instead of your medium one. That's the only difference. It takes the same amount of time. You need a bigger pot, and that's it. Yeah. That's it. Crossland and I made a terrible fucking beer that we got like a pint out of in our one gallon batch. True. We named it Swamp Thing because that's what it tasted like and looked like, and uh. That's the worst beer I've ever brewed. And I was like 24. I don't know if that's true. Like that, that, we on were my at, part. That was at... But hmm? I, said, I don't what? know if that's true on my part. I feel like I've definitely what? brewed worse. But you don't fine. know if what's true. You brewed worse? Yeah, that, that was my joke. Okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, maybe my bacon amber was worse. Sounds gross. So... It was. To the book. To the book. Uh... We, we, we approach the laurel. Darrow invariably doesn't get the laurel because despite being the society being presented as a meritocracy, as we've talked about, it isn't. It's about overall productivity, and we also see the shaming of the other two clans. Any more comments on the on the side of the laurel? I feel like we hit this. What, what was the what was the comment? <laughs> Maybe you'll learn not to dally. Yeah. Or dilly. Yeah. Dilly dally. Whatever. Like they lost like eight people each. Right. And he's like, like kind they of lost, that they lost like, like oh, half made, of the... you made a small mistake and you you won't fuck up again right and it's like dude our people died like they lost like half of their mining crew yeah not not a good it's like it's that's not that's not dilly dallying right that's that's the difference is these people read it as though it's going to be life life in the future life as everything else but the reality of the coppers is it is no more than numbers on a ledger. And efficiency. So my question, my question to that is: We know Darrow's thought on it. Do we know 
how well accepted the the official story is within the tribes or do they all know it's kind of bullshit and they're just trying to survive well i think that brings up an interesting point because we also get just a bit after this we get our first presentation of the sons of Ares, right like on the hc um which is an uprising that appears to be happening of reds uh where they're like bombing townships basically and like trying to blow things up and it gets presented as right. like counter propaganda to some degree from octavia and the society in general it gets presented as like why would you hurt your own uh, mm-hmm. so that's that's interesting you know given also the context of what we're seeing right now in the real world um so yeah i mean it's it's kind of dicey i feel like there is obviously enough of the population that agrees and is is so brainwashed that they can't see past what's going on uh, but there are me- even Darrow, like Darrow literally doesn't see it. Darrow doesn't believe it. Darrow denies it when it's brought up by EO later, you know, like he is literally in it for that exact reason, which I think, I think is good to get into in a second here. And we can, we can kind of break that down because I feel like we can get to a lot of the general thoughts. Um, so we, we hit the next chapter and Darrow and EO make their way up. It's, it's the surprise from EO uh, because Darrow's fell through, and she said he had she had two surprises for him. We uh, we hit chapter four, and the big surprise is yes, we are on Mars, and that some of Mars is obviously good to go. And Darrow leads off with right. the word sky. It was once just a word, and now he's actually seeing the sky and the stars for the first time. And we well, get I, I mean he he's he, he talked about before, like early 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 on um the stars are something that neither me nor any other red like me will ever see mm-hmm. something like that yeah yeah i can't remember that it side. was it was definitely something like that to be oh here it is page number page five but she could be made from the or from air from the ether that binds the stars in a patchwork not that i've ever seen stars no red from the mining colonies see stars yeah and it's just like stars i think also talking about eo yeah yeah it is it is definitely romanticizing eo um (laughs) if that's what you're trying to get back to here uh but a lot of a lot of this chapter is kind of romanticizing the idea of eo because it's it's important i mean yeah it's his it is it's like number one connection to humanity and when he loses it he loses everything um Mm -hmm. so uh, we hit chapter four, and literally the note that I wrote on my little tiny uh, post-it flag was sex, but also lies. Uh, <laughs> and I, I just like, we, we get this kind of big conversation. Yes, we're on Mars, obviously, as I mentioned. Um, Darren, you have sex, uh, but they were caught while trying, you know, while trying to escape. We get really, I think, the first very flowery section of Pierce ba- Brown prose as well. He really does a great job of delivering kind of a romantic scenery, even through a sometimes brutal lens. But right here, we get kind of a, a romantic for romantic sake, because we do have kind of a sweet moment. And yeah. this is maybe the only one. I can see that. <laughs> it's I can believe that. It's, it's maybe the only one without, a, without ruining anything. But yeah. No, I don't think that ruins anything. I think uh, 
I think the scene after this ruins that for us. That's true. That's true. Definitely um, sets the tone. <laughs> it does. Um. Uh, she is my land. She is my kin. My love. Mm-hmm. Like, he revolves around her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Entirely. And I, I think... EO, EO drives his life. Entirely. Like, he lives to... Like, he lives to win the laurel to, like, extra satisfy EO and make sure that she's fed, not thinning, which he talks about a number of times over the chapters. He's just trying there, to there's, ensure... There's the... Later on in this section, there's the quote from the inside front cover of the dust cover of the book which is i live for the dream that my children will be born free she says that they will be what they like that they will own the land their father gave them i live for you i say sadly eo kisses my cheek then you love then you must live for more dude that gives me chills because of it gives me chills fundamentally and it might not it might not do that for you right now but it is oh uh no like she is this is more cementing that she knows way more about the society they live in than he does yeah so there are lingering questions there that we'll hit at the end with uh, pj's predictions um, but, uh, oh, man, you know, Darrow very quickly realizes, you know, it's not just the surprise, but it's also kind of leverage in the way that EO sees them. Like you just mentioned over the course of the conversation, we come to understand the meaning of the title section, really. The reason that it's called slave is not so much about Darrow's perception of reality, but it's EO's perception. It's the way that EO sees things is that they're all slaves, not that Darrow thinks that they're slaves because Darrow doesn't think that he's a slave right he believes Darrow he's living for family like you said like he believes everything that he's told essentially yeah and if not everything a good majority of it right right he's an indoctrinated sheep for the most part um and that's that's what i find yes. fascinating about this introduction to with darrow is he isn't conventionally flawed in most of the usual ways that like luke skywalker is right Luke Skywalker is a novice who isn't, uh, you know, like a, I, I think they call it Gary Stew. If it's a male character that just knows how to do everything and can manage everything, Mary Sue being the opposite. Um, he isn't, he isn't like a, he isn't strictly, he's closer to a Gary Stew actually, like right off the bat, but also he's a sheep. Like he, he is a stupid ass Gary Stew who doesn't realize what he can do if he broke out of the mold because he loves comfort. He loves his initial worldview of things. Mm -hmm. um, but he, yeah. he can't shake the worldview. He can't shake his love for EO. He lives and loves EO. So and that's what it I, stands I, for. I, 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 th I think, I think you're a little bit mis misspoken in saying that he loves his worldview. I think he hasn't had the exposure. Sure. To understand that there's anything beyond his worldview. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, he, he doesn't... Yeah, you're right. He doesn't have the exposure to see beyond his worldview because he's content with his present. Yeah, yeah. Be because he, like, he has no reason not to think. Right. Because he hasn't 
he hasn't had exposure to anything else yeah. that's better than or different than his his worldview other than gamma and their winning of the laurel right like that that is the only overarching difference in his life between clans is who has the lore. Definitely. And it's always Gamma. So we we hit kind of the end of this conversation where they roll back to uh, Darrow's dad dying, right? And, and he specifically says on page 33, uh, what is the point of dying? Dying for a cause doesn't do a bloody damn thing. It just robbed us of his laughter. And I do like the word bloody damn, by the way. Uh, yeah, that's that's sort of that's sort of like a slang. Um, you know, it's a nice Irish twist. It's, it's not a slang. Like, it, it's a colloquialism. It's, an it's an a locality. Like it's an expletive that just kind of uniquely evolved into this society, right? But is doesn't have to be explained because it is the kind of conglomeration of two very well-known expletives right around the world yeah uh, I, I, and that that was something I'd that was something kind of seamless that anchored me to earth adjacent sure if that makes sense yes that makes sense to 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 earth society adjacent right like this is close enough that i completely understand where it came from but it's different enough that I know that it's not actually used in any society I know of as a single standalone expletive. Right. True. Fair. It was very well done in that sense. I think it does a it does a good job of describing the I, I like that you allude to that, um, because I think that it is a good job of it does make it earth adjacent. It also makes it kind of the Irish adjacent with bloody, you know, being a very like UK slash Irish thing to throw in, you know, bloody in front of things as a, a almost an adverb to whatever the swear as is. As an accentuation. Yeah. Adverb. <laughs> um, Shh. It's fine. You and your fancy language shit. I don't it's, know. It's fine. So. Uh, I know math. Yeah, okay. Let's continue. Okay, math. <laughs> uh, so she comes back with she comes back to the previous statement with uh, death isn't simply like you say. Emptiness is life without freedom, Darrow. Of which, you know, is certainly kind of the core argument that she makes with with all of her choices. Uh, Man, she she echoes a lot of shit that I believe in. Right? Yeah. No, she's she's like, a great. She, she says a. She says a lot of stuff that really, like, I want to scream about current American society. So, so here's the interesting thing that I think about from this entire chapter's perspective, from the overall overview, is we are looking out from Darrow's eyes, but especially in this section, we're fixed on EO so as to explore what eo really thinks not what darrow thinks we're given what darrow thinks but really we're questioning what's going on with eo right we get into the final ish chunk of the book which which rolls pretty quickly um from chapter to chapter so we get into the first song which is chapter five 
this section breaks my heart every single time that I've read it, that I've heard it. Um, the, the words to Darrow feel final and they kind of foreshadow her eventual decision. And that still rings with me, just the line about Mars's gravity, obviously. But she also says, you know, break the chains, my love. And that's the last thing that we know that she says to him. And she doesn't say it. She mouths it to him. It implies that last note. No, I mean, she said, he said, she mouths, break the chains. Right. Like, she, she doesn't say it out loud. Right, but we, we had it earlier in a conversation. Right? We did. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it's parroting yeah. what was earlier. Yeah, par- parroting. Like, not parody, yeah. but parrot. parrot. Like, yep, heard. Yes. Understood. Um, and it's, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous last word, I feel like. She knows what she's doing, and he knows what she's mm-hmm. doing. He knows her well enough to know that he can't stop her. Yeah. And that's that's sort of the brutal reality of this all. Is like he knows that she's stubborn enough to stay the course no matter what he shouts, yells, does anything. He'll make a fool of himself and be punished even worse for saying things at this point. Because televised, like anything that he does is going to be infinitely worse. Um, we kind of get mm-hmm. that perspective. We also get uh, Magistrate Podiginous, which we talked about earlier, the copper who announces and addresses the whole televised punishment, a way of showing everyone what happens if you step out of line. He does give a straight-up law and order speech. He shouts, law, order, some other word, because I'm not on the page. There there are three Uh, phrases, and it just literally is Trump. Jesus, where is it? Um... Uh, so it's on 38, either. right? Order, there discipline, law. These are the things which empower our race. Cursed is the creature who breaks with these compacts. And it's it's a much more formal way of you know, saying the fourth graders' interpretation of events. <laughs> uh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I, I like, there, there's an appreciation there, which is obviously like this is a tyrannical structure built around these folks it's also just scary to see the tyrannical structure evoke itself <laughs> in reality right. uh, so we also meet our uh, our second gold and this time in person our first gold being octavia uh there's an incredible fascination that darrow has despite knowing the punishment is coming his way uh he sees the scar on nero al augustus's face and talks about the peerless scarred a little bit so I hadn't mentioned this earlier, but I think it's important to talk about. There are historical connotations that come with the name Octavia, as well as Nero Augustus. Um, so Nero, I'm not, I'm not super well versed in Roman history. Thankfully for you, I am. Um, yep, I I do know that Nero is. The is regarded as kind of the beginning of the fall of the Roman Empire, um, which took like four hundred years. But <laughs> like it, it started with Nero, right? Right. Um, I don't know the implications of the name Octavius, 
Octavia. For Octavia. Yeah. Octavia. Yeah, so... I'm assuming it's derived off of Octavius, correct? Um, no. Or is it Octavia? It's Octavia. No. Yeah, so okay. she herself was this entire other thing. Um, Nero was the... I'm a sexist piece was of the shit. inheritor of, like, the <laughs> Julio-Claudian dynasty. Um, was related to Claudius. Uh, anyway, anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, his mother was also Agrippina. Agrippina is the great-granddaughter of Octavia Minor, of whom Octavia is named after. There, There's Octavia the Elder and Octavia Minor. Uh, Octavia the Younger, which is who I believe this character most closely resembles, is the fourth wife of Mark Antony, um, who also like birthed the line that gave birth to Caligula, as well as Agrippina, which we talked about, and uh, also makes her the great-great-great-great-grandmother of Emperor Nero. So kind of okay. kind of a descendant of there's there's like minor thoughts of inbreeding here, not that that actually happened, but there are like there's a there's a perspective of the golds maybe being descendants of each other. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Regardless, interesting. In, inbred fucks. Inbred fucks, the golds are Do you think that they're actually inbred fucks? I'm sure there's some of that. Okay. Okay. So the the brutality of the lashing that Darrow receives is is tough. Like it's a it's a brutal scene. Like even his uncle is lashing him. You know, people from each clan are lashing him. He gets forty two and uh forty eight. Forty eight, sorry. Um forty eight. And then they, they make the fake like stopping him or stopping it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, no, 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 he's had enough, but he, he knows he's had his 48. Yeah. Right. Everyone else wasn't counting, but he's been counting. Um, and then we, we immediately transition from that into, like, Eos, right? And so then Eos steps up, and they he's talking to Augustus, Nero. He's begging him, um, and they, they gag and bind him with, like, a stone gag. And he ruins his teeth on it. And there's just this image of him, like, grinding his molars as he sees his wife, like, whipped. Well, not not at this point, but as, like, he's waiting and begging and pleading for this moment to stop. Just the damage that he's done to his teeth. For me, that resonates because there's something about losing bone. There's Um, something about teeth fucked up that just... Where where, where is the comment on the teeth getting fucked up? Because I, I, I see the, uh, on page 41, um, bridge forces a knot of stone into my mouth. Mm-hmm. I gag and cry. I don't, I don't see any comment on him fucking up his teeth, which you have written in Oh, your he definitely notes. does. Give me two seconds here. I'm sure it exists. Like, I, I believe you. But I'm also not... So, yeah, me. 43, right? <laughs> so, right after the song okay. is saying, I can barely breathe past the stone. It chips my molars. Tears stream down my face. No voice rises from the crowd. I see mother tem- trembling in te- with anger. Tyrion clutches his wife close. Nero stares. Lauren weeps. God, it's it's also somewhere else. That's not... So, that's all, not, it says is I, all it says is I chip That's not molars. the only reference to it, though. Where where'd you say you saw the other okay. bit? 41. 41, um, middle, like, 
gag that wretched thing. Bridge forces a yep, yep, yep. Bridge for- forces a knot of stone into my mouth. I gag and cry. Um, I didn't get like that it was actually made of stone. I guess it makes sense if it, if it's just like a stone wrapped in um uh rope. Oh, it's it's on it's but on chapter I, I, 6 after it's on 44. Okay. So for you I do not um, react. I'm anger, I'm hatred, everything, but I hold her gaze even as she as they take her away and fit the noose around her neck. I look up at the bridge and she and he quietly takes the gag from my mouth. My teeth will never be the same. And, okay. and so that gives the impression that he was like sitting there chewing on the stone, yeah. anguished, like just trying to kind of like fight through it. It's not it's not strictly yeah. mentioned, but obviously between the molars chipping and everything else, it's like Jesus Christ gagging someone yeah, with a stone. Sense. Like Yeah. That makes sense. I I was just it was spread out enough that I, I didn't make all of the connection mm-hmm. that you pointed out in our in our uh, notes. Totally um, fine. Um, but yeah, like stones are stones are harder than bones. Of course, of course. And I, I think what's important <laughs> here is to mark sort of the the brutality and the unrelenting nature that this will bring up in some of the grinding fashions. This isn't the most descriptive of them. But I, that is a, a hallmark of the series, and mm-hmm. it only gets worse slash better, depending on your opinion. Good so, what do you think of Eo's song, which is important? It's you know, it's her act of rebellion. Um, it's it's important. It's a beautiful song of rebellion. But oh, that was that was on forty two uh, pitch forty two. Um, it made me question why it was forbidden versus everything else. Like, I get, I get the kind of themes of, um, discontent with the ruling class, but to be the only song that's forbidden seemed odd so we know we know that there are forbidden I, i'd dances. like I, i'd like more explanation they're they're like forbidden dances around death right because we know that narrow there's one narrow taught that there's one forbidden dance and there's one forbidden song so far as we know right at this point so far as we've been ex- exposed to right but she chooses this song specifically but uh, but 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 i think he i think daryl mentions it that like there there is one forbidden song and one forbidden dance i think he he mentions it earlier yes on so the forbidden dance is when he's talking about is his a father. death's dance right and this is a song about death as well and so there's something forbidden yeah. about the the religion around death that the reds have which they they make mention of a couple of times it's not so incredibly explicit here but they talk about the veil right so especially in in the song and the poem, they do. They talk about it in the in the song or poem yep. or whatever you want to call it. And the veil is almost this theory of afterlife. And down in the veil, hear the reaper yeah. swing, I mean, the reaper swing, the reaper swing. The, it's it's heaven. It's the afterlife. Whatever they believe in, it is their out of out of humanity location. Yeah. 
Um, that last verse, though. My uh, son, my son. For our... Oh, yep. I was going to say, my son, my son, remember the chains when gold ruled with iron reins, when he roared and roared and twisted and screamed for ours a veil of better dreams. Um, so, this section, like, it's only three paragraphs. That's a third of the song. Yeah. But they talk about, in the in the passage before they'll cut out anything they deem like your what was what was the term um keep recording we'll cut out anything. the veil oh oh continue recording uh, we'll edit out the parts we find intolerable yeah yeah so what parts of that do they find tolerable and where's the line? Because it's all pretty damning towards the golds. Right, right, right. But if you also control the networks, you know it's going to go out in the end. So No, no, no. I know. I know. So, like, if you, Crossland, were a gold in charge of editing this song after it's been sung and recorded for a broadcast... What would you cut out? The entirety of the third verse. You you could keep the first two. Looking uh, at it. I don't know if you could. Yeah. These these are all like about death. Like it's just like we tried to do our best um, against like what was happening. We couldn't, blah blah blah. And that's right away in the first verse, obviously, but I feel like it's more subtle and you're assuming a lot of intelligence on people's behalf to be able to infer messages, which obviously if they listen to vague threats like law and order they you know don't perceive the rest of the message against their greed i know i, I was alluding to that with the law and order comments like that, that's like i i feel like that would get cut out maybe but you'd have to you'd have to cut out the rest of it no you could just cut out that line like you just edit around it think think about like video editors then, like whatever then it's not a song yeah it doesn't it doesn't you of all people be. i know like th that's that's the thing here is they think about that and then in the next chapter we get presented with a like sort of hacked version right that comes out which is the whole thing it's the whole song yeah it's eo's song it's eo's dream being broadcasted across the hc across to everyone who can hear right yeah so yeah. i i yeah. think that while correct in your assumption that like yeah it was a little overzealous of Nero in classic Nero sense. No, no, no. I'm not saying it's overzealous. I'm saying if I were Nero, I don't know how much I'd actually leave. You wouldn't leave anything. You, you'd just cut it out and just ex execute the woman because it would be like, yeah, she committed crimes, whatever, kill her. They don't need to know the facts yeah. of what happened. But right. the reality is that she still sung, someone recorded it, they got a hold of it, and then broadcasted it. That's the reality. Well, I mean, that's the reality, but he was also, they were given permission to broadcast it while they were recording. Yeah. So, hey, I, I don't know if that's a fair 
argument. I get it. I, I think that this is a controversial point. Not a controversial. This is a critical point to some degree. Because I think Nero's move, if he wasn't so prideful, would have been to have cut her off and to have prevented her from singing. But because he believes in his own power and his own stature inside of the system and society, he's like, whatever, we can fix it later. It doesn't matter. Like, she can do whatever she wants and with okay. her little plight of life. Yeah. Like, shoo-shoo mouse, whatever. I'm going to hit you with a hammer in a second okay. anyway. I can, I, can, I, I can get behind that. But reality that. is, is that other people had cameras. That's not really the reality in this case. But basically, other people had access to the Greens network, and they were able to take the video and then pilot it out. So, yeah. What do you think about the act of rebellion right. on the whole, though? Um... It was so anticlimactic. Really? Because of how indoctrinated everybody else was. There was nobody to resonate the tone that she set. Interesting. Interesting. Like she she said something so powerful mm -hmm. that probably rang through the hearts of it. Everybody in the red game. Yep. Well, and but it was kind of decapitated because of the fear and and, and indoctrination of everybody looking on. And in most circumstances, totally agree with you. Nero literally challenged them. He's like, "Anyone else want to sing along? Like, is anyone else going to do anything yeah, about exactly. it about this?" And everyone else kind of just. I really, back. I really wanted to know. I really wanted to know what he would have done if somebody did. Yeah. I it would have been another hanging. Like, I know what he would have done. Well, and, and we kind of get that answer, though, because Darrow does break the rules, you know, and, and ends up after a drink with Uncle Nero going and taking her corpse down ahead of time and burying her in a place where she shouldn't be, obviously. One of five ever buried. Yeah. That's telling. And, and like, I thought the coolest description of it was him, like, pulling the body past the people in the silk. Oh, yeah. In the Webbery. Um, yep. Silk lines. In the Webbery. And him saying, like, they won't, they won't say anything. They, they, they know her. Right. Because she is a Webbery woman. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the the whole thing, that whole section is so tough. It's it's very it's it's hard to get through because it's also dark from Darrow's perspective where he just suddenly feels very hopeless from this like, you know, not necessarily hopeful but like content. He, he was like she she was the light of his of his yeah. life. In a in a non like ironic sense or non like cliche right. sense. It, like not not in a way of like Non cliche. Like she dictates what I think. Like, like she was his son. the positivity of his existence. Like, he, she is who he existed. In this entire chapter, he knows that he's going to die for what he wants to do and what he needs to do for his wife, and he's he's resigned right. himself to it. 
he sneaks out behind like family members. Neryl gets it. Neryl mentions um, a couple of different things, which is interesting. We get like a family drink between Neryl and Darrow, uh, where they mm. they talk about um, dancer so, and the afterlife. So, stepping backwards a bit, we know the age of the males. Yep. How old is Darrow's or uh, is Darrow's mother? We don't we don't know that. Yeah, I don't think it's concrete, but she's about Nero's age. She's a little bit younger. Okay. I want to say she's 30-ish in context. And I don't think okay. that ruins anything. So she she would have been 14 yeah, when, yeah. when Daryl yep. was born. Yeah, okay. All right, that makes sense. But anyway. Continue. No, so. I, I was just I was speaking to we get a couple of names that like Uncle Nero talks about. He talks about the veil. He talks about greeting people because he knows what Darrow's going to do. He knows that he's going to like go off and die. And so he's like, when you get there, make sure that you, you talk to Dancer and your dad and like other people. Like he just he makes all of these off handed mentions. Um and kinda like nods along. They take a drink, so we, we take a drink. That's the rule their drink darrow um, takes a drink my drinks are oh, sure. gone that's fine uh i can mm. go grab a bottle okay um all right okay. i'll be right back all right i'm gonna teeling cheers cheers Yeah. Yo and Tiendo. So, yep. um, God, this whole thing. Uh, we, we skipped it earlier, but when she mouths, like, live for more. Uh, yep. Uh, yep. Uh, and then he just decides to, like, kill himself. It's like, you're not really living for more because you're going to get yourself hung. Um, um so, like... That's what's fucked up. That's the one thing that really caught me off guard. Is he fucking dies. Yeah. Right? Like, on the page, sorry. Like, Go ahead. Of, of everything that I was talking about, like, thinking, everything I was thinking about, about the, like, progression of the character. I hadn't considered the character's death as being part of the first chapter of the fucking book. right, or first section. So I, I think it pays to uh, to like, end this on the quote that he dies on, and this and this chunk before you start talking about it. My body falls, rope flays my neck, my spine creaks, needles lace my lumbar. Kieran stumbles forward and Nero shoves him away. With a wink, he touches my feet and pulls. Consciously, he thinks, "I hope they do not bury me." And the section ends. And that that's just like it's a um, it's a glorious thing because it's the it's the third time it's happened. We didn't strictly talk about it, but obviously Darrow pulled Eo's feet to kill her. And he also uh, killed his father, ended his father's life. It's not killed, but like just finished him off, finished her off, and now it's his turn. The the way you read that was surprisingly more beautiful. 
than what I have written on my paper. Really? I thought we had the same exact copy of we, the book. We do, unless I skipped something. Um. So, let me read that. Like, exactly yep. what you read. My body falls forward. My, my body falls. Rope flays my neck. My spine creaks. Needles lace my lumbar. Kieran stumbles forward. Uncle Nero shoves him away. With a wink, he touches my feet and pulls. I hope they do not. Yeah, that's exactly what I read. I Um, I added consciously. He thinks, and that was that was really just like a he that that was to that was better perspective. That was better. Well, that's that's third person narration versus first person. It 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 is, but it was more emotion because there's. it, mm-hmm. This this last section is so devoid of emotion. That was but a I, glimmer of but emotion. But I think it's so staccato because of, like part of the part of the strength of this end here, part of the strength that I think uh, Pierce Brown brings to this is that sort of staccato emotion, which I think comes through in this. And I think part of the per- first person versus a third person narrative is you also have to read between the lines a little bit because you're kind of laced in their personality. Yeah, no, no. Well, okay, yes, you have to read between the lines, but you also have to anal- like, analyze what's actually written. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't necessarily... Like, you can read between the lines, but you can't necessarily know what the character is thinking unless it's written all right well so the 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 consciously i think part of it that you added i think strengthens the section uh, okay okay so so i understand what you're saying i agree but also i think that it's almost implied in a first person sense and the reason it, it it is, but it also goes against the way that this entire section has been written no, so far, he, which is why I was kind of jealous he, that you he had like never different well, he, he, experience. But even though yours, it, it was the same. I just quoted it out differently in the way that I was writing because I was planning on breaking out it up into like two parts, um, and so I broke it up with like he thinks consciously. Um, Part of that, like, I personally, I like first-person writing. I also like third-person writing. Um, and I, I, you can actively see the difference as you start to experience more perspectives along the writing line and the omniscient versus limited versus first-person limited perspective. And so you can gather that this is what he's thinking despite it being explicitly labeled as such. And part of the reason that, right. so the rationale that I'm getting here to is we can assume to some degree that he lives because he thought this so as for us to receive some kind of a diary, some kind of a note to be able to continue via her, his perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So right. There, there are first-person novels which end on a note like this wool being one of them which is one of my favorite from recent history there are a couple of places where that novel ends 
with a first person narrative being like and then my neck broke and you're just like oh shit well um on to the next one i guess <laughs> and, and the story continues um but this gives like a preamble almost because it it still sounds like he's describing it and because he's describing it it feels like you're going to move forward with him so with that we move into the new section pj's predictions we'll figure out something better it's fine we're gonna move into your predictions <laughs> uh you can cut that shit out it's fine no well I'm not okay going to. uh it makes you sound bad yeah um <laughs> all right so my pr- did my you, pr- did you my predictions bark, man? dude like that was like a two-second part come on continue um your predictions so I think I think we can get into some Buddhism shit. Really? And uh, Darrow wakes up reborn in in an infantile body of of a gold. Hmm. So like his consciousness gets transferred. Exactly. Okay. So he, he is in the physical body of a gold member member of society and he can blend in entirely but he still maintains his memories of what it means to be a red and the um, inherent like identity of being a red and the fight and the drive and the grit that it takes to be one to be a hell diver to be to be so ruthless in not against your fellow humanity but against nature hmm. against emotion against pain like he he is he's a ruthless individual as a hell diver and I think that follows him. Okay. But I, I think he also maintains the memory of Eo and of his family and of his father. And I think he uses it as a springboard for um, revolution. Okay. I dig. I dig. Um, with that, any particular favorite moment and... Or, what, if any, impact do you think this section has on the massive future of this series? Probably we know at this point that it's six books long, at least. What do you think this chunk has impact on? Um, so, we have been exposed to the Forbidden Song. And we have been told about the Forbidden Dance that has not yet shown its face. Other than in memory of... Daryl's father. Darrow. It's been like Daryl. Dar- no, not Daryl. Darrow. Okay. Darrow's father. The memory of Darrow's father. Darrow's um, father. Being Darrow's <laughs> father. You should continue. Uh, be being executed for the expression of the forbidden yep. dance. Um, that has not yet been described. But we have 
we we have the description of the forbidden mm-hmm. song so um those i feel like at some point will either i, I think those will come together he will have the recording of eo singing the forbidden song and i think he'll dance to it at some point okay i don't know if he'll get reprimanded for it because genuinely i think that the only people that these are these rules are imposed against are the reds so i think as a gold reborn if that's what happens he'll have the memory of these forbidden songs and dances Hmm. and he'll be able to express them without fatal consequence okay that's my prediction agreed no that that's a that's a good good leading off point so uh any any favorite moment would you love the most anything stick out to you um the interaction between narrow and darrow as darrow was leaving sneakily his house towards is that your favorite that was my favorite was the conversation and the the interaction and just the the humanity between Hmm. the two yeah that's that's a good point of like you and the conversation about his mother saying like she knew she knew you would escape she knew you would leave but she's she's there to let you make your own decisions make your make your own mistakes Hmm. um and that that's that's a that's a um, what's the word for it? Sore point. Um, a... No, no, no. Like a a conversation about the woman's place mm. in the world in this society, but it's also a conversation about the way a mother raises her son. Yeah. And at some point needs to let go of coddling him, knowing that like he he is he is an adult in this society, and he is free to make his own choices and mistakes, as much as it may hurt him or her. Okay. All right. I uh, I particularly love that the section that sticks out to me is really the the whole like hanging thing with the the mars you have to twist the feet to break the neck they let the loved ones do it just mm-hmm. stands out as a caustic moment um not not oh, necessarily yeah. for the whole Absolutely. series but just something that reads so starkly different because of the familial necessity on a death penalty right so like the family has to finish up like what the government started like oh my god could not imagine what we've hit this point well but you you pointed out before they don't have to right right so the the if they disagree they wouldn't with they wouldn't and they'd let them suffer i hadn't i hadn't let that kind of perspective come through me um and i i was still unsure about whether it was compassion or brutality mm-hmm. to 
force a family member to give the killing blow. I think from a red, it's compassion. But but I, I, I hadn't considered the fact that they'd still die anyway. Yeah. It would just take a lot longer. Right. So. Yeah, it's it's tough. That that sticks out to me in this section, um, and obviously not obviously, um, EO and EO's dream is a is a big kind of encouraging revolutionary moment potentially, provided the right sticks grab the fire, so to speak. So right. with that, uh, we talk about next week for just a brief second. So next week, we'll be reading part two, Reborn in its entirety. Um, so if you're with us in our regular book, you're going to read all the way through part two. If you're with us in the audiobook, part two, Jesus Christ, it's just through part two. There are no page numbers, no nothing. Just read part two. Uh, so that is through chapter 18 and up until the part three marker in case you are lost um if you are in the same like ESPN, ESPN number that we've yeah. got what page ISBN ESPN what what the fuck ever uh what page is that? Yeah, I'm you in a second. Uh, I have it broken out actually in my fucking head but I don't have it on our shit I want to say okay yep 139 is where you're flipping to part three. So read to 138. So we've got we've got 90 yep, pages. Yep, so now we hit the long haul. So now we're going to hit long haul sections. It'll be it'll be great, TJ. Yeah, part part three is labeled gold. Well, we didn't want to talk about that until now, but that's okay. Well, we talked it's, about it last time. It's a little time bit of a hint. It's a little bit reborn. of a hint. Okay. We're getting, we're getting there. there. We're getting there. Um. I've got to look at where I'm going to in order to like know when to stop. So I've got to, it's. Thank you for listening to Words and Whiskey. We hope you've built up a tolerance to us. Subscribe to us on your preferred platform like Overcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, or whatever else you use. And check us out at our website, wordsandwhiskey.show. We filled our top shelf with our favorite cocktail recipes as well as other important information for you. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at WordsWhiskeyPod. All those links and more can be found in our show notes. A five-star rating on the platform of your choosing goes a long way to springing us up on them leaderboards and getting us noticed. We're just two dudes helping encourage people to read and get out of their comfort zone while thinking critically about literature. Thanks for listening, and we bloody damn better see you next week.